Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I waited till after handshaking time to come in. Uh, this morning I woke up with chills and a th- sore throat and uh, all of that. So I waited till after the fellowship so I didn't sink a ship. Say amen. I'm not being a snob. I just don't want to share what I have with you. Amen. Uh, I want to be stingy with this. Y'all pray for me. Uh, I, I do not feel well at all, but usually that's when I preach the best. So maybe that'll be the case today. My daughter reminded me of that this morning. She said, well, Daddy, you always preach better when you're sick anyway. So uh, I want you to pray for me. Pray for me. So if I don't preach good, it's your fault. Say amen. That means you didn't pray. So, so help us to pray. Isn't it good to be saved? I, I was watching. I was watching from the, the room in there, and I was watching the first couple songs. And Brandon uh, had them little solos he was doing, and that boy's got a game face, don't he? <clears throat> he could be the world's greatest poker player. Amen. I'm telling you. Good gracious! Thank God for a great band and a great choir, good singers, a good spirit, and and not bad church members. Amen. All right. Acts chapter two, and verse number thirty-seven. Verse number 37, we're preaching through Acts. We're just preaching through uh, what what taken place after the resurrection. Last week, uh, we studied a sermon that Peter preached on the, the day of Pentecost, uh, the, really the first sermon of the very first church service of uh, the New Testament era. And that sermon was a blistering sermon. That sermon was a convicting sermon. It was a sermon that laid them bare. It opened up uh, who they really were, and they realized their sin. He preached on their wickedness. He preached on their sin. He said, you have with wicked hands crucified the Messiah, the Savior, God's Son. And when, when the preaching of the Word brings conviction in the heart, uh, there is a great desire to do something about it. Would you say amen right there? Then it says in verse number 37, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, if you there, say amen. Now when they heard this... <clears throat> They were pricked in their heart, that's conviction. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, what's that next word? Say it again. Say it with conviction. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're going to stop right there in verse 38 and talk about that word repent. I really wanted to get down into they gladly received his word and continued in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and all that kind of stuff, but that'll have to wait till next week. Uh, woke up Monday morning thinking about this word. Woke up Monday morning and, and God began to stir in my spirit this word and how important this word is and how important the doctrine of repentance is. It is a missing doctrine. It's a doctrine that's not being spoke of much in the, in the American church today. It is in the world. It is on, in, on the mission field. They understand what repentance is. But we have, we have created a society and a group of people in America who don't want to be told to repent. Because repentance, it, it means and it insinuates guilt. And it insinuates shame. It, it insinuates doing something wrong and having to turn and and, and the Bible is so true. Paul said that in the last days, people will want to just hear what they want to hear. They want to do what they want to do. They want to, they want to live according to their own lusts, their own desires, and their own wants. And just, just, just tell us everything's going to be all right. But Peter said, repent. If you want to know what you need to do, if you don't want to know what's necessary, he said, 
repent. Somebody say amen. amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your mercy. Thank you for a crowd that's here today to hear your word. We're here to study. And God, we're going to go from verse to verse to verse to study this portion of Scripture, to study this truth, to, to glean and grow and mature and develop. We're not here to be babied. We're not here to be pacified. Lord, we're not here to be tickled. We're not here uh, for a pep talk. We're here to grow, and we're here to learn, and we're here to move forward and become soldiers of the cross. And I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. You may be seated. Before, Before we go any further, I want to correct an error. I want to correct an error that's being uh, preached and is being taught in verse number 38. Uh, there are people today who will preach and use this verse and say that this teaches that baptism is required for salvation. In other words, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, and then be baptized before salvation is official or b- before salvation takes place. And they use the verse here. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the word, For. For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let me say something about that word, and then a couple other sermons that Peter preaches in the book of Acts. The word for here is the Greek word eis, E-I-S, which can be translated on account of or on the basis of. In other words, in other words, I, I, this morning, I got up feeling real sick and, 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 and just shivering and shaking and, and a sore throat. So what did I do? I took some medicine for my sickness. For my, or in other words, on account of my sickness. I didn't take it to get it. I didn't take it to receive it. I didn't want it. Say amen. I took it on account of. I took it for. In other words, I took the Tylenol. I took the ibuprofen for my fever. For my sore throat. In other words, on account of. And what he's saying here, he's saying you are baptized on account of the remission of sins. Or on the basis of the remission of sins. John baptized in the beginning. John the Baptist, he baptized for the remission of sins. Or on account of their repenting. On account of their repentance. Now, let me, let me, let me prove it even further. There are three other sermons There are three other sermons in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, same principle. They say, what what, what, what do we need to do? He he says at the end of his sermon, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, repent, and be converted. In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. Not one word is said about baptism. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 through 32, is another sermon by Peter. Not one mention about baptism. Acts chapter 10 and this is, the click, this is the kicker. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter yet spake, this is at the house of Cornelius. He has given them the gospel. He has preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says why? He didn't even get a chance. He didn't even get a chance to give an invitation. They just believed his word. Before he even told them what they needed to do, they believed his word. They repented in their heart. And this is what happens. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jewish people that came from Jerusalem, which believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter. Now watch this. This is verse 47, 10, Acts 10, 47. Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized? Watch. 
which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. In other words, he is saying we need to baptize these folks that have already received the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, the Holy Ghost comes and and dwells the believer. You are saved. If you were here Wednesday night, you learned that the Holy Spirit seals the believer. We are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Ghost. And in this verse, he is saying they need to be baptized on account of their salvation, on account of the remission of sins. They were already saved, then they were baptized afterwards. Are you with me? Say amen. In other words, if you had, if baptism was required for salvation, they could not have received the Holy Ghost till after they were baptized. But that's not the case. Baptism is a work of faith after salvation. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, let's just forget about that and go on. And next time somebody tells you you have to be baptized, tell them they don't know what the Bible. <clears throat> All right. Repent. Repent. This is such an important topic, such an important verse. I, 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 I looked all over the Bible. I mean, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, everywhere I could find the Word, everywhere that the Word was insinuated and, and talked about and described. And, and, and here we have John Baptist. It says in Matthew 3, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When John was arrested and put into prison, it says that now after this in Mark 1, 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What was he doing? He was preaching the same message John was preaching at the end of his ministry. He says in Luke 24, 46, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So what? Jesus began his ministry preaching repentance, and he ended his ministry preaching repentance. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he said in Acts chapter 2, 38, then Peter said to them, repent, repent. Acts three nineteen. repent ye therefore and be converted. Paul stepped right into them same shoes in Acts chapter 17 and verse 29. He says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art or man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts twenty six twenty, But showed first unto the, them of Damascus and Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. In other words, bring us, bring us some proof. Bring some fruit of repentance. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That word means completion, maturity. He is dealing with immature people. And he's saying this is the very basis. This is the very elementary uh, uh, aspects of salvation. And he says, what is that? Not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Somebody say amen. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance. What is repentance? I want to share uh, what I can with you today, and you pray for me. Uh, number one, I want you to see the essence of repentance. 
You see, there's groups of people that's arguing over this. <clears throat> they're they're uh, on one hand, on one hand they go to an extreme, and on the other hand they go to an extreme. Uh, they're both uh, uh, Christian people, but one uh, is saying this about it, and another is saying this about it. There's one that's on the extreme that really pushes to the point of works being required for salvation. In other words, when they, re- they preach repentance, they basically insinuate that you've got to quit all your sinning to come to God. That's like saying, get better and go to the doctor. Are you with me? You can't get saved till you get straightened out. You can't get saved till you quit all your stuff. You can't get saved till you, till you work your stuff out in your life. And then, No, 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 that's crazy. That's adding works to salvation. You can't work your way. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then you got this crowd on this side that says, hey, just believe. Just believe. Don't have to do nothing else, but just believe. Just believe that there is a God. Just believe that Jesus died on the cross. All you got to do is believe. Well, there's only one problem. James said the demons believe. Even the devils believe that Jesus is real. Even the devils believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they've never repented. See, we can't be on one side or the other. We have to say, how many of y'all know there's a ditch on both sides of the road? And we need to be balanced. We need to stay in the road and understand what is repentance. It, it, listen, one is easy believism. Just repeat this prayer after me. You know, go through this little formula. And if you say this prayer, God will save you. Under no conviction whatsoever. Has no intention whatsoever to repent. There are people in this room today who have prayed a prayer at some time in their life and you had no intention of turning from your sin and turning to God. You had no intention of changing your life. All you wanted was a ticket out of hell and into heaven. You prayed a little prayer and that's about it. Honey, that don't work. You say, why are you getting all worked up about this? Because the Bible says straight is a gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Wide is the way and broad is the gate that leadeth unto destruction. And we have churches filled with people in America that have prayed a prayer and said a formula and they believe that they're saved and they've never repented and they don't know Jesus. What is repentance? There are several aspects of repentance I want to share with you. And I, 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 I guarantee you I went through a whole lot more verses than what I'm going to give you today. But, but let's look at repentance. If, if, there, if, if repentance is defined, if repentance is defined, if you want to use like a definition, it, it basically means to feel sorrow, to feel remorse, and also to change the mind, to change the mind. Now, to describe it in a way we could all understand, repentance begins in the mind, but it culminates in the change of your life. If you have changed your mind, your life will change. But if a changed mind didn't lead to a changed life, you didn't repent. And, I, and I'll prove that. Now, here's the thing. The essence of repentance. First, I want you to write this down. There is a telling aspect of repentance. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 3. Matthew chapter number 3. <clears throat> Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 3. If you have your Bibles, and you should have your Bibles, and you need to start bringing your Bibles so we can study the Bible. Some may say, man. Matthew chapter number 3, this is John, <clears throat> this is John preaching uh, uh, when he comes into the, out of the wilderness preaching, preparing the way for the Messiah, and he is preaching repentance, and he is preaching about sin, he is preaching about them getting right. In Matthew 3 verse 1, <clears throat> now I will, 
I will acknowledge that the word telling is a weak word to use, but I used it for the sake of alliteration. But you'll understand what I mean by this. Telling, confessing, uh, acknowledging, bringing forth. All right? Uh, Matthew 3, 1. Are you there? Say amen. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent. Say it with me. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John, and his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey, then went out to him uh, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the regions round about Jordan. Watch this, read this with me. And were baptized of him in Jordan, saying, Say it again. Say it again. Now, this is not in, in insinuating they were out there kind of like a confessional with a priest somewhere and li- making a list of all the things that they have done, all the wrong deeds they have done, all the wrongdoings. That the word confessing here means to acknowledge or to come into agreement with. In other words, they are acknowledging their sin. They are acknowledging, they are confessing, they are coming into agreement that they are a sinner. They are in need of repentance, that they are helpless without God. Do you realize a man cannot get saved till he gets lost? The hardest thing to do in America today, especially in the South, is to get somebody lost. Because you can knock on every door in Coleman County, and everybody will tell you they're a Christian. Everybody will tell you they're a believer. Yet they never darken the doors of the church. They never read their Bible. They never pray to God. And they claim to be saved. But honey, I'm here to tell you, that is not repentance. That is not acknowledging that you are hell-bound without God. That is not acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You cannot get saved till you get lost. They were confessing. They were telling, if you will. They were acknowledging and admitting and agreeing that their condition. Psalms 51.1 Have mercy upon me, O God. This is David. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Watch this. For I acknowledge my transgression. Say that with me. I And my sin is ever before me. You know what he's saying? It's not my brother's fault. It's not my mama's fault. It's not my raising. It's not my heritage. It's not my past. It's not anybody around me. He made no excuses. He come to God and he said, It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, oh God. I'm the guilty one. I'm the sinner. I stand before you, God, guilty of sin. And if you never come to this place in your life, if you never come to an understanding that you are a sinner and you are in need of a Savior, you cannot get saved till you acknowledge your sin. I acknowledge, he says. You know, it's amazing to me that David did a lot worse than Saul, but Saul hid his and David admitted his. And the outcome was totally different. Are y'all with me? Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, you remember that word? It means to come into agreement. It means to come into an acknowledgement of what it is and who it is. 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, if we could ever see our sin like God sees our sin. If we could ever come into agreement and see what our sin did to His Son, it would change everything about our lives. The telling aspect. The telling aspect of repentance. Then then B, write this down. There's a turning aspect. There's a turning aspect. Preacher, what are you saying? You cannot turn to God without turning from sin. There's a turning aspect. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And our God, he will abundantly pardon. First Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves show us uh, what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how, watch this, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Acts three twenty six. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus. Thank you, Doc. Sent, it says, sent him to bless you in turning away. Say that with me. In turning away every one of you from his what? Iniquities. Acts 26, 20. But showed you first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Now read this underlined part with me. That they should and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. What does that mean? Repentance means to turn. It means to turn. This is the aspect that causes controversy. This is the aspect of repentance that's that's really not being countered or, or not being preached or not being put out in the world today. We want to just say, just come as you are and just believe. But we're not given the whole gospel. You can't turn to him without turning from something. You have to change your mind. One of, one of, one of the great illustrations, one of the great illustrations in the Bible is the prodigal son. I love that story. I love that story. Uh, because... It, it tells me that the father loves him no matter how stupid he got. And if you don't like that word, if you read the story, you'd say it too. But here this prodigal son is sitting in a hog pen. He's sitting in the place that sin will take you. He's sitting in the place that sin will leave you. And he's, he's broke. He's bankrupt. And do you know what we are without God? Bankrupt. Here he's sitting in a hog pen. And the Bible says, I love this phrase. I love this phrase. And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, you say, preacher, what is that? I believe that was repentance. Because there was a time when he thought he knew everything. There was a time when he thought he was smarter than the father. There was a time when he thought, He had it all together, and he knew everything about life. 
and he knew everything he wanted. But now he's sitting empty. Now he's sitting bankrupt. Now he's sitting in the hog pen. And the Bible says he came to himself. Say, preacher, what did he do? He changed his mind. Oh, maybe father wasn't all that crazy after all. Oh, it wasn't so bad at home after all. Man, I had it a whole lot better back at my house. Even at the father's house, there's servants that have bread enough in despair. And I'm sitting here hungry. I tell you what will happen when a sinner will come to the feet of Jesus at the altar. And he'll realize that the world with Christ is a whole lot better than the world with the devil. He'll change his mind. And he'll say, I don't want what I used to have. I don't want what was there before me. I want God I want God he came to himself and the Bible says he dropped the pail jumped the rail and hit the trail <clears throat> now here's here's where people will get into a a, a a theological debate all right when did he repent when he hit the trail or when he came to himself and you know what I say yeah Yeah. Say, preacher, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. When he came to himself and he changed his mind, if he truly repented, he'd get out of that hog pen. But there are people who feel remorse. There are people who feel regret about their life. And First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 calls that worldly sorrow. There are people that find themselves in the hog pen and all they do is feel sorry about themselves. And that's worldly sorrow. They're not sorry because they are a sinner. They are sorry because their foolish decisions have put them in a bad place. And that kind of person will not leave the hog pen. Let me, let me see if I can make it real clear for you. If you are still in the hog pen and you say you repented, you're lying. Because a change of mind will bring a change of life. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I'm not saying everything will be perfect. I'm not going to say you're going to fix everything overnight. I'm not going to say you're going to be sinless, but you will sin less. Somebody say amen. Your life will be different. Your life will be changed. You won't think the same. You won't act the same. You won't believe the same. You'll treat people different. You'll love people different. You'll act different. You'll talk different. Somebody say amen. Amen. A turning. A changing. Let me, let me give you another illustration. How about, how about the two thieves on the cross? I went and read that this week. Two thieves on the cross hanging beside Jesus. Both of them are guilty. Both of them are wicked. Both of them deserve to die. Both of them deserve condemnation. Both of them deserve to be executed. And one looks at Jesus. One looks at Jesus and said, If you are who you say you are, that's not belief. It's not faith. He didn't believe he was. He didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He said, if you are who you say you are, won't you get yourself down and us too? You know what he's saying? I'm sorry I'm hanging on a cross. I'm not sorry for who I am. I'm not sorry for what brought me to this place. I'm sorry because of the predicament I find myself in. That is worldly sorrow. 
But you see the other old boy. <laughs> he tells that one, man, you need to shut up. He said, don't you realize, look what he said, don't you realize we deserve to be here? What's he doing? He's acknowledging his sin. He said, don't you realize we deserve this? This man has done nothing. We deserve it. He's acknowledging his sin. And what's he do? He turns to Jesus. (laughs) Oh, he says, remember me. And guess what? That's godly sorrow. And godly sorrow worketh repentance, and repentance worketh life. Worldly sorrow worketh death. Are you seeing me? You see what I'm showing you? Have you repented? Preacher, you want me to doubt my salvation? No, I'm wanting you to be sure of your salvation. The Bible says a man ought to make his election and calling sure. He says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Did you repent? I've seen people come to this altar because their wife left them, because they found out a bad report at the doctor, because they're about to get booted out of their house. All kind of different situations and come and weep and wail. And oh, you would say by their emotion, they're repenting. Oh my goodness, they're getting right with God. No, no, no. They're sorry for the condition they find themselves in. And then what happened to those same people? When their condition changed, Then you couldn't find them with a, with a hound dog. But you see, God can use those same situations to bring a man to repentance. God can bring a difficult situation. God can bring sorrow. God can bring grief to bring a man to repentance. You see, the difference between worldly repentance and godly repentance is one is repented for what they did. But godly repentance is they're, they're, they're sorrowful for who they are. And all God's people say it. There's a turning aspect. But then, then, write this down. There is a trusting aspect to repentance. Preacher, what, is, is, is faith repentance? And is repentance faith? Yes. They're interchangeable. They go together. You can't have faith without repentance, and you can't have repentance without faith. Because from turning from something, you have to turn to something. Let me show you how it's preached. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse number 14, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Watch how he puts these two together. Repent ye and... Believe the gospel. Watch what it says in Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That means completion, maturity. Not laying again the foundation. What is the foundation? Repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. They go together. They go together. Acts 20, verse 21. Paul is saying that he was preaching in Acts chapter 20, verse 20. He said he preached in the synagogues and from house to house. What was he preaching? The Bible says in verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a trusting aspect. You see, we must acknowledge our sin. We must acknowledge our sin. We must acknowledge who we are. 
We must come into agreement with God about our situation and about our condition. Our mind has to change about the life we've been living. Our mind has to change about our behavior, our lifestyle, our beliefs. There there were several things that they said they turned from. Iniquity, sin. They turned from their idols. You see, they had to turn from their false gods to the real God. But here's the thing. You can't just have faith. Your faith has to be in something. You say, I believe. I want to say, what do you believe? I have faith. In what? There was a a church service on the riverbank. And they were baptizing, having a revival. I mean, they was getting it on. And this was on Sunday morning. There was an old drunk staggering down the road from the tavern that Saturday night. And he just got in line with all the rest of them. And he was three sheets to the wind. How many of y'all know what that is? How do you know what that is? He got in line. That preacher was upset. He's a little upset, so he just dunked him fast. Snatched him up and said, do you believe? And boy, he was coughing up water. He didn't say nothing, so the preacher just dunked him again. Snatched him back up, and he was coughing even worse this time. He said, do you believe? He didn't say nothing, so he dunked him a third time, held him under. Snatched him back up and said, do you believe? He said, yeah, I believe, I believe. He said, what you believe? He said, I believe you're trying to drown me. <laughs> I don't have nothing to do with the message, but I just want to tell it, amen? <laughs> it's making my cold feel better, amen? What do you believe? What is your faith in? Say, preacher, I'm turning from my sin, but what are you turning to? The finished work of Christ on the cross. You are putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your allegiance has changed. Do you realize that you were a child of the devil before you become a child of God? And when you repent, you know what you're saying? God, I give you my life. He said, unless a man hate his father's mother, sister's brother, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He said, oh, but that's just for them special Christians that want to be close to God. No, that's for all of us. Christ has to be first in our life. There's a trusting aspect of repentance. A telling aspect of repentance. There is a turning aspect of repentance. Now, write this down. Number two, the experience. The experience of repentance. How much time I got? Oh, yeah, I got plenty. How does this take place? How does this take place? I've seen, I've, seen people, I've seen people go up to people that's working in a restaurant and they're busy, got plates on every hand, and, and, and try to win them to Christ and, and say a little prayer, say, hey, just pray this prayer with me, and then go around and turn and tell them, I, I led five people to the Lord. I got a problem with that. Now, could it possibly happen? Yeah, I'm saying it could happen. But I'm saying most of the time those type of people want to tell you how many people they led to the Lord and they have no idea that they just got somebody to repeat a prayer after them. Now here's, here's, what, here's what God's Word says about repentance and the experience of repentance. How does this take place? If you'll turn, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I told you we was going to turn a lot. <clears throat> chapter number 7. I think it will be up here on the screen.
All right. The first thing that takes place that brings on repentance, here's the process or the pattern, whatever word you want to use. First, first, A, if you're writing this down, there is a confrontation. There is a confrontation. Before David said what he said in Psalm 51, there was a confrontation between him and God's man, Nathan. Nathan came to David, and he presented the word of God that he had received, and he said, Thou art the man. He was confronted. You see, a confrontation always stirs repentance. We have to be confronted with the word. You say, where is the confrontation here? In 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And he called them everything but a good person. He called them carnal. He called them immature. He called them prideful. I'm talking about blistered them. Are y'all with me? Say amen. In that first letter, he confronted them with their sin. They were allowing a man who was having an affair with his stepmother to be in the church and no church discipline whatsoever, not correcting it. They were using the Lord's Supper in all the wrong ways. They were doing things with the gifts that God had given them and using them as weapons to fight with and not tools to build with. I mean, the whole first letter was a blazing rebuke of their sin. There was a confrontation. Now, people will not repent till they are confronted. Now watch. Now, this is important. Up in the balcony, watch this. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Clear teaching. Truth being taught. They will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. And it says something about their lusts, their desires. In other words, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Now, you can talk about anything you want to talk about, but don't mess with my stuff. Don't mess with my lifestyle. Don't, don't mess with my sin. Don't, let, don't mess with my pet stuff. Don't mess with that bitterness I've been holding against an aunt or an uncle or a family member. Don't be messing with my gossip. Don't be messing with those sins. I want to live my life. Don't mess with me. Just tell me everything's going to be all right. And guess what? There are preachers today that are lining up down the block to tell people what they want to hear. As long as they get a check, as long as they get a retirement, as long as they get what they feel like they need, they'll tell people whatever they want to hear. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's never going to happen here. It will not happen. You're going to hear the truth, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. Listen, it has to be done. Yes, it is confrontational. Yes, it is abrasive. Yes, people don't like it. Yes, it's all of that and everything else. But I'm here to tell you, if we don't tell the truth, if we don't preach it right, if we don't spread the gospel and rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering, I'm telling you, we might as well shut the doors because we're not a church. There needs to be confrontation. 
I've heard people say this, preacher, you rubbing the cat the wrong way. No, the cat needs to turn around. Are y'all with me? Hey, let's don't, let's don't change this to fit our life. Let's change our life to fit this book. I sure am. Maybe I needed a fever a long time ago, amen. There's confrontation. And let me tell you this, and, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, you're really enjoying this. No, I ain't. I don't like confrontation. I don't, I don't like having to think in the back of my head, what are they going to say? What are they going to think when I'm fixing to say what I'm fixing to say? Because what I'm fixing to say goes against their tradition. What I'm fixing to say goes against what Papa told them when they was a little kid. What I'm fixing to tell them goes completely against the lifestyle they're living. They're going to get up and leave. That's what's going on in my head. I don't like confrontation. And if you do like confrontation, you're a freak. You're not a pastor. You like just, just, no. And I'll prove it. Paul said, I hated this. Look, let me read it. He says in verse number 8, For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. The word there means regret. He said, man, I regretted it for a minute. For I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry. He said it broke you down. It caused sorrow to be in you. And that, that, that caused sorrow to be in Paul because he caused sorrow in somebody else. But watch what he says. Verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. He said, basically, let me just, let me just, here's, here's the way to understand that. I didn't want to have to do it. But I'm glad I did it. Because since I did it, you repented and you made things right. There has to be a confrontation. Then, then B, write this down. Not only is there a confrontation, but because of the confrontation, there is conviction. The Bible says you had godly sorrow. godly sorrow you're either going to get mad or you're going to get sad you're going to get mad or you're going to get sad we, we, we talked about this last week when Stephen preached when Stephen confronted them with their sin they got mad they got mad and the Bible says they bit upon them they gnashed upon him with their teeth and they stoned him to death and it's all about the condition of the heart here in Acts chapter number 2, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart. What, what caused it to be a prick and not a cut? Because their heart was soft. Their heart was tender. You know what we have to do when we come before God and we come into the house of God? We have to have a tender heart. You know how we need to come? We don't need to come looking for something wrong. We don't need to come trying to critique the preacher and trying to, trying to catch him in saying something. No, no. I've got a list of things every week that I watch and I think, man, why did I do that? I'm my own worst critic. You don't have to be. But if you come with a spirit that says, God, teach me something. God, help me to learn. God, help me to grow. Do you realize it don't matter who's up here teaching? God can take whatever he says and make it be what you need to hear before it gets to your ear. I've had people come up to me after service and say, boy, I'm sure glad you said so and so. I didn't say that. 
You mean to tell me, yeah, I'm telling you, God is big enough. This could be the biggest goober in the world up here preaching, and you can still get something from him if you come with an attitude and a temperament. I want to learn. God, give me something. How's your heart? Listen, when there is a confrontation, then there is conviction. Say that with me. First, there is a confrontation with the Word. Everybody's going to be confronted with God's Word sooner or later in their life, and your beliefs are going to be challenged, and your behavior is going to be challenged. You're going to be confronted. You're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to believe the Word, or am I going to have to believe Paul Paul? There's some things. My, my dad's sitting right here. There's some things that, that he taught me when I was a kid that wasn't true. You know why? Because that's what he was taught. And then, and we both studied the Word, and we both found out, you know what? That's not so. So guess what? We were confronted with the Word, and we were under conviction. Are y'all with me? There was conviction. Then, see, write this down. <clears throat> First, there is a confrontation. Then there's conviction. There was godly sorrow. Then there's confession. Confession, that means to come into agreement. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth the sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 5, Then went out to him at Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. What were they saying? You're right. God, you're right. When you are confronted with Scripture, it always brings godly sorrow. It brings a remorse. It brings pain, hurt. And you have a choice to make. You're either going to bow up and get mad, or you're going to come into agreement with what the Scriptures say about your life and about your situation. If you do that, then D. There is conversion. First, there is a confrontation. Then there is conviction. Then there is confession. But then there is conversion. That means a change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Preacher, how, how do we know if, we, if we've repented? I made a profession. Watch, watch what your profession will get you. Watch what your profession will get you. The Bible says, In that day many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord. We've done this in your name, and we've done that in your name, and we've helped, and we've healed, and we've done this, and we've done that. And you know what he's going to say? He said, You made a profession, but I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. But they made a profession, but they never repented. Here's what I'm saying. Did your life change? Ye shall know them by the, say it with me, by the fruit. Jesus said that, not me. The fruit. What fruit do you see in your life? What fruit are you bearing? Now, now let, me, let, me, let me give you a little. 
evidence of repentance. Quick, quick, quick. I got to hurry. Got to hurry. Watch what, watch, watch what repentance does. Verse 11. He said, Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Now watch what it did. Verse 11. For behold, the selfsame thing. Ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What? Everybody say it. What? You know what that word means? Speed. It literally means speed. In other words, you didn't mess around. When you received this letter about your sin and about your behavior, y'all didn't mess around. Y'all dealt with it. What carefulness. Watch this. Not only what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what? You know what a repentant person will want to do? Get their heart right. They want to get their life right. They want to clear up the wrong that's in their life. They'll have a desire to fix things. What happened when the people repented in Acts 2? They said, what must we do? What must we do? Then it says, not only what clearing of yourselves, yea, what? You know what will happen when you truly repent? You'll start hating sin. Indignation means anger. means anger. Guess what? Do you know a doctor hates sickness? You know why? Because he loves health. You cannot love God and love your sin. If you repent and you start thinking like God thinks, and you change your mind toward God, then you're going to think about sin like God thinks about sin. And it'll make you angry. Are y'all with me? What indignation? Yea, what? Fear. Oh, don't we need a godly fear in America today? What vehement desire. What be, vehement desire. You know what's one cool thing about baby Christians? Is they got a desire. Man, they'll do anything you ask them to do. They got a desire to do something for God. They are freshly repentant. They are so close and they remember where God brought them from. You mean to tell you what's wrong with most Christians? They've been saved too long. You've forgotten where you was where God found you. You've forgotten where you were. Hey, that, that's why them people that are really, really, really wicked, they're really, really, really holy. Because they remember where they were when God found them. Somebody say amen. What vehement desire. What revenge. What zeal. What desire to do right, to solve the problem. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. I ask you today. As every head's bowed and every eye closed, have you repented? Have you repented? I'm not asking you, did you pray a prayer? I'm, I'm not asking, 